turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you kindly, and good afternoon. Welcome to this April 4th edition of Lifeline. Hope you're doing so well so far in the week here. Got a lot to talk about on today's program. One of the topics that we are going to not be addressing, and quite intentionally so, are the events that unfolded earlier today in New York City, and largely because the timing of all of this is so close to broadcast time just doesn't give us an opportunity to really fully digest um, the significance and all of the details included inside of the statement of facts and the uh, 34-point indictment. We will have, however, a constitutional lawyer join us on the program tomorrow so we can kind of get to the core of all of this, what it means constitutionally, what it means for the sake of the nation. All that coming up tomorrow on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Meanwhile, we deal with another urgent topic, a topic that really, I think, has um, pushed its way to the top or the forefront in the wake of COVID. COVID, the COVID experience brought out a lot of flaws, flaws within our government, flaws within our medical system, flaws within our educational system, quite frankly, and particularly for those that have school-age children. um, Much of, I think, what was revealed by COVID demonstrated um, some fundamental weaknesses. And while certainly there are degrees to which the quality or lack thereof of public education varies from state to state, even from city to city, it has growing numbers of parents not only alarmed about the quality of education, but also alarmed about what's being endorsed within the public school environment. Some so much so that perhaps even like yourself, there has been considerations related to, well, how do we change all this? Historically, the one thing that has been phenomenal about the impact and success of capitalism is that it helps to promote competition, and competition allows the cream to rise to the top. It forces those that underperform to reconsider their performance in order to remain competitive. Well, if that's good for business, why isn't that same concept good for education? Let's talk about it. Joining me is longtime syndicated talk show host, author, CPA, lawyer, Bob Zadek. Bob is probably one of the best experts on the history of the United States Constitution that I am aware of, and he's the author of a number of best-selling books, as I mentioned a moment ago. He joins us now to, uh, to unpack this very important issue related to education. And, uh, Bob, I suppose it would take several shows, several weeks of several shows, in order to try to fully understand what has gone on in the public education system in recent decades. 
but suffice it to say, um, there's a growing sense of not only disquiet, but downright distrust of the public education system. What is problematic for so many parents is the notion that if they decide that they would rather send their son or daughter to a private school where there's not only better outcomes, but a greater degree of accountability, that of course suggests they have to get out the checkbook. Not every parent can afford to do just that, and therefore the reason why there's been long talk related to, well, either the creation of so-called educational savings accounts or even school vouchers that would empower parents to essentially say, if the district in which I reside and the school that my son or daughter attends is doing well, and I'm pleased with the outcome and the performance of my student, leave them where they're at. If, however, I am not pleased with my child's performance and ultimately the performance of the local school, vote with my feet. Problem, of course, is there is a disparity in all of that that, unfortunately, that singularly leaves just the parents that have the financial wherewithal to do that. Help us understand a, a bit about what's going on in this entire school choice front and, and most importantly, some of the things that have kind of bubbled to the top post-COVID. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show, Craig. I sure appreciate the invitation. And on the issue of school choice, uh, it's it's quite an interesting conversation where the issue tends to be muddled. And what I hope to be able to do is explain to our friends and listeners out there how easy it is to understand the discussion. And I'll borrow from a free market economist that I follow religiously, um, who writes the Cafe Hayek, H-A-Y-E-K blog, uh, named uh, Don Boudreau, who teaches economics at Mercatus Center at George Mason University. He taught me over a decade ago in a column he wrote, he taught me about school choice with a very, very wonderful metaphor. He said, let's focus on supermarkets. Uh, they supply a commodity that we all have to have, food and related products. And I ask our listeners to just imagine if there were a statute that divided whatever jurisdiction you live in into a district. It was marked by certain cross streets. You lived, and let's say zip code, you lived in a certain zip code. And if you lived in that zip code, you were given a food allowance of, let's say, $500 a month. I don't know what food costs for a family of four. Let's say $500 a month. And you were given an allowance for food. Everybody was. However, however, you could, and that was paid for by tax dollars, of course. However, you only could spend that allotment in a specific supermarket located in your zip code. And that supermarket knew that everybody had to use their $500 of vouchers either in that supermarket or they were worthless. 
Now, so therefore, the supermarket had a captive audience. It knew it had to have customers. Just imagine, just imagine the quality in that supermarket, the cleanliness, the choice of products, the politeness of the workers. Imagine what that would be like if they knew everybody in a certain zip code had to shop there. Now, of course, if the service was really bad in that supermarket or the supermarket were dirty, what would you do? You would say, I hate this. The supermarket in the adjacent zip code is much better. I'm going to shop there, which you were free to do. But you had to spend your own money, which means the $500 you were given was utterly worthless to you, even though you paid for it in taxes. Imagine how the quality, what the quality would be like in the supermarket, which had a compelled audience. And we have a supermarket in the next zip code, which was really clean and spiffy, but you couldn't shop there except by paying double the $500 you paid in taxes for your vouchers and which you couldn't use except in your supermarket and the money you spend out of your own pocket. That gives the audience a hint of what education is like. Everybody pays through taxes for public education. Some people decide the public education is subpar. So I will send my children to a non-governmental school. Well, that individual is making the right choice, but they are paying taxes to support the, and I don't call them public schools, I call them government schools, call them what they are. But that individual who sends their child to a private school is paying through taxes for the public school, which the taxpayer doesn't use and is paying again for the private school that it really wants. That will get us into the discussion today, Craig, on the issue of school choice. In short, in short, the issue on school choice, on having people be able to choose without financial penalty where to send their children is a question not should government subsidize education education is a public good which means we all benefit from a smart population by better outcomes at the polls more informed electors and the like we benefit from a smarter population therefore it is a public good so government should support education but give the money not to the provider give the money to the customer and let the customer make millions of private decisions where to spend that money. In effect, vote with your dollars, and the bad schools will die, the good schools will prosper, and everybody will be educated. That's a good place, Craig, for us to start today's conversation. And, of course, the other irony in all of what you've shared today is I think if we individually polled listeners, whatever the political persuasion, and ask them a simple question, do you believe 
believe that your child deserves and needs a first-class quality education in order to be successful in life, I will submit to you that everyone, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, independent, every flavor in between, would all say, yes, absolutely. I want to make sure that my son or daughter is equipped with all the tools that they need to be successful citizens, contributors to society, parents, etc., etc. Where it becomes a bit problematic is, and particularly when you talk to those that have, um, shall we say, a horse in this race from a, a political and or a governmental earnings standpoint, you suddenly begin to realize that there are some people that believe that the current system as it is, is somehow sacrosanct. And if you dare touch any of it, modify any of it, the whole thing will collapse and it will become the ruination of the nation. Is that necessarily true? We'll talk about that next and talk about exactly what the empowerment of school choice looks like in communities where it's been tried. Our guest today, Bob Zadek, best-selling author, longtime syndicated talk show host. He is also a CPA and a lawyer, and I think in many respects, uniquely qualified to help us understand this very important issue. A brief time out back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And that's what's called ironic timing. Welcome back to the conversation. Craig Roberts along with Bob Zadek. Bob, of course, a very long-time syndicated talk show host, best-selling author. We're here today talking about school choice. Now, typically when this conversation comes up, if you are in the presence of people that are involved as members of the CTA or the NEA, they will argue that it is critical we maintain status quo, though they won't use those precise words. They will suggest that public education as it currently sits is somehow sacrosanct, even though it is a relatively newer phenomenon in American history, meaning that if you go back to the end of the 18th leading into the 19th century, frankly, most education that was made available was provided through private entities and churches. There was no such thing as the public education system. So a whole industry has grown out of this over the last 120-something years. And, of course, with that, a lot of people that have a, a vested interest to leave things as they are. So things like tenure and compensation levels and uh, authority over educational content, uh, all a part of that status quo that I mentioned a moment ago. And, and I guess therein lies the real battle here, Bob, that every time a intelligent conversation related to why choice is a good thing. Um, both sides line up, parents uh, typically on one end and the unions on the other, trying to argue that were we to offer things like educational savings accounts or a barter or, I'm sorry, a, a, a voucher system, that it would completely destroy public education as we know it and America would go to the educational uh, handbasket <laughs> were, were we to undertake such an endeavor. But the fact of the matter is, when you look at outcomes based on the performance of students enjoying private education, it's pretty remarkable to see the difference not only in testing scores, but ultimately in how many children go on to two- and four-year colleges and universities. I mean, the results at the end of the day truly speak for themselves. 
What's interesting is you said in your intro a second ago, uh, would it destroy public education? I said to myself, gee, I sure hope so. Um, (laughs) But put that aside, uh, forgive the cynicism, but it, it would not necessarily destroy public education unless public education failed in the marketplace. So it doesn't destroy public education any more than a free market destroys bad products. Uh, of course it does. It better or else the market, the free market is useless. The free market those that survive offering a good or service in the free market survive only because they are offering to the voting people who spend, who vote with dollars, the voting public, they are offering them the best product at the best price or else they fail. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. And in public education, it's quite interesting if you, if you watch elections no candidate ever campaigns on a platform of i'm opposed to school choice why because the voters all want school choice well why is there school choice because the teachers union one of the largest uh, influences through campaign contributions and supplying workers at the polls to and to do canvassing the teachers union provides so much money because it's their lifeblood they provide so much money almost exclusively to democrats that the democrats don't have to campaign they are given election assurance if they are in a democratic district by the support they get from the teachers union so it's never you'll never see a political debate where one side is pro-choice and the other side is anti-choice because the anti-choice those who support government schools would never get elected they'd prefer to keep their position private and just bask in the dollars they get from the unions by voting to support government schools that's and i ask the listeners to watch the next election and see how those who support government schools actually vote now craig we ought to explain for a moment just how and we can't go over all the plans but just the big picture on how funding actually works because you mentioned in your presentation you mentioned um uh, education savings accounts esas as they are called i mentioned vouchers in passing and the theory there are many different ways to accomplish it and this uh, broadcast tonight is not the right forum to do a deep dive into the economics but in the big picture the money is being given not to the seller of the service but to the buyer the money is given to those who spend the money and by spending the money for the best school 
in the eyes of the parent, uh, they are voting with their dollars how what schools are preferred and what schools are not. So I am not opposed to government schools per se. And the example, Craig, is look at the college system. We have state schools, government schools, if you will. After all, San Diego State University just played in the in the NCAA championship game last night. We have very good state schools. We have average state schools and we have private schools. Nobody is complaining that state schools offer subpar education. Some might and some might not. But the fact is both state schools and private schools have no trouble competing in the market for college dollars everybody is kind of happy now we we're not talking about college per se we're talking about public versus private coexisting they both have a marketplace both in terms of price and quality so something that every american understands which is government education competing with private education we are simply saying move it down to the public school level it's not that dramatic and lastly and lastly we where in this country should we have any service where the customer is compelled compelled to use a provider picked by government and you cannot pick a provider of an essential service of education imagine if you were told like england for example you had to use a doctor that a bureaucrat in washington said if you have a heart condition here is the name and email address of the doctor you must use how long would that system last in a country which is accustomed to freedom but yet that is what we have with education and your your point is an ideal transition point here because when we come back i want to talk a bit about why competition in this arena is so critically important and how we are essentially burdening our students, at least a good percentage of them, that do not have the happy circumstance to either reside in the proper zip code or have parents who have the kind of um, financial wherewithal that allows them to live in an area that has the kind of resources of local tax dollars in order to go to a good quality school. Now, let me hasten to add... Don't infer that that means only in the rich areas do they have good schools, but largely there is a disproportionate degree of quality versus poorness uh, based on, quite frankly, your zip code. A lot of this empowering of parents to essentially vote with their feet, and I'm always careful to say, you know, we talk about um, public dollars going to private education. Remember where those public dollars began. They began as private dollars. They came out of your pocket and my pocket in the form of property taxes, in the form of sales taxes, in the form of income taxes, about a 50-50 split between what comes in from the local level versus what comes in from the federal level. But be clear about this. All of the money began as private dollars. 
So is there really all that much harm to be had in empowering parents to have access to their own dollars again to better a child's education and ultimately improve the outcome for not just that family but for the nation? We'll talk about the importance of competition and what that looks like as our conversation with best-selling author Bob Zadek continues in a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Quick history lesson. In the early part of the 20th century, Ford Motor Car Company was the undisputed leader in automotive manufacturing and sales. I think just about every car manufacturer that existed at the time, and there were hundreds of them, many brands of which, of course, have long faded from memory, but they would all, I think, give kudos to Mr. Ford. He had the best-selling product. The problem, of course, is that Mr. Ford knew it. And so, for 20 years, the Ford Model T, the first assembly line vehicle ever to be manufactured in the United States was the undisputed leader and change not. There were very little changes, innovations, contributions to improve the vehicle whatsoever. It wasn't until 1927, feeling the pressure from other competitors as names that we all know, like the Dodge Brothers and Chrysler and General Motors, began to put downward pressure on Mr. Ford to improve old Lizzie, the Model T, eventually released the Model A, because... He had just rested on his laurels entirely too long. Can you imagine if Ford had continued to be the only car manufacturer running around town today <laughs> in your Model T that hasn't changed for over a century? Ford had gotten his way. That might have been the case. Competition helped Ford change and improve. And in fact, the history of competition has always done that in the free and open marketplace. So if it's good for the automobile, if it's good for technology and development and improving the lives of individuals all across the planet, then why wouldn't it be good in education? Well, at the end, that really is what's being argued by the opponents of school choice, that if you dare allow competition to come in, you will not only um, begin to ring the death bell for public education, um, but destroy lives. Now, that's certainly an exaggeration, but it, but it points to the notion that there's an extreme fear of those who do not want to see change. And one of the arguments, Bob Zadek, goes something like this. Well, were you to give parents the right to vote with their feet and empower them through either an ESA or through a voucher, uh, they would take their scholastic business elsewhere, and then what would happen to everybody else? It would destroy public schools. But that isn't necessarily true, is it? Well, of course it's not true, and there is an ugly, ugly um, racial tinge to all of this you often will hear teachers and other advocates of government school monopoly arguing that 
school choice imposes a horrible burden upon parents because they intimate that less wealthy, lower middle class or lower class parents are somehow less capable of take of deciding what educational system is best for their child and therefore it is unfair to impose that choice upon them since they're incompetent therefore we the government will make that choice for them how dare they how dare they equate parenting skill to income level how dare they it is so offensive to me it is patronizing and it is elitism at its very very worst and and especially when you occasionally see the news article when a voucher school or in new york city a charter school which has admission by lottery because the demand is 10 times the supply and you have lower income parents in lower income districts they take a lottery number praying their child gets into a charter school and there are films of parents and children sobbing sobbing because they didn't win the lottery i.e. the government by limiting the amount of charter schools because every state limits the number of charter schools to protect the unions states have said to that unfortunate lower income parent who didn't get a lucky number you are doomed to send your child to a school that you have decided is the wrong school for your child and they do so by limiting the supply to air quotes protect lower income parents from the burden of parenting those same lower income parents who are at least as good a parent as anybody else are given the right to make medical decisions health decisions athletic decisions clothing decisions food decisions about their child but somehow there is something so complicated about picking the right school that they are prevented from making that decision it's insulting and those who advocate against charter schools should be ashamed of themselves well there's another interesting piece of irony to all of this as well i find it ironic that you know as i think you would perhaps be able to carry a a very simple um, non-scientific survey amongst most Americans and say uh, in your state how do you think um, certain government services fare for example how was your last experience at the DMV or what do you think of the manner in which the United States Postal Service handles our mails and I think uh, with few exceptions most Americans would agree uh, that there are some um, uh, ways in which both institutions are sorely lacking and might very well benefit from really solid, decent competition. Certainly, if the Postal Service was doing much better, uh, companies like uh, FedEx, DHL, American Express, etc., etc., probably wouldn't even exist. That said, I've always found it curious that the same people that would argue how horrible the 
DMV is or the Postal Service handles their business, suddenly on the topic of education, we think that, oh, uh, only the government can do a good job at this and that we would be doing our children a grave disservice were we to allow private sector to get involved. And yet the irony is the performance records between the two, public versus private or public versus charter, speaks for itself. Craig, I would be as passionate as I am in favor of school choice, uh, even if, even if private schools were not as good, because the, the core principle for me is the word which is uh, uttered by you and I repeatedly, which is choice. I favor freedom of choice. People are entitled to make their own decisions about their lives and do the very best that they can. And it doesn't matter to me if they would, if they make a bad choice. People are responsible for their decisions they make about their lives. And one has to wonder about a system of education the government school system about we have to wonder about a system of education which can only survive through force coercion and the use of police carrying guns that you any system that requires vigorous enforcement tells you without the guns and the police and the enforcement and the coercion, it would die. What does that tell you about the product if you have to be compelled to shop there, in this case, shop at the school? What does that tell you about the product? And that, that one suggestion to me summarizes the entire issue of choice. It's freedom and being coerced to buy a service from somebody you don't choose to patronize. But if you don't patronize that provider, you go to jail. Yeah, and then when you add to it the layer of complexity in relationship to the just the dollars and cents of it all, um, the the average expenditure, certainly in a state like California, I think we're spending upwards of almost $17,000 per year per child. What does that come out to? $200,000 over the course of a child's uh, scholastic career from uh, K through 12. And, and yet so often the private schools are able to do it so much cheaper and so much more effectively and quite frankly without a lot of the the advantages that the private sorry that the public schools have I mean the public schools they own their buildings they don't pay taxes on the property uh, they they get a lot of government benefits that are not afforded to private schools and so when you look at not just the expenditure of public versus private, but then the scholastic outcomes and the test scoring and the number of the percentage of children that go on to two and four year colleges and universities that matriculate out of the the private sector versus the public sector education. And then, as you suggest, Bob, the idea of having to coerce people almost by uh, by gunpoint to patronize public schools because they have no economic choice. Well, I think suggests that maybe the notion of public education shouldn't be held as sacrosanct as some people would like to hold it. And at the end of the day, what is the number one agenda here? Is the number one agenda to uphold the status quo? Is the number one agenda to help uh, encourage public unions? 
is the number one agenda to leave things as they've always been because to change it would be too much effort? Or is the number one goal here to make sure that our children, our sons and our daughters, the future of our nation, have the absolute best chance at the best education possible for the best outcome for the sake of not only their lives, but ultimately for the sake of the country. I mean, after all, these are America's future voters, future taxpayers, and future leaders. Some insights today from syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek. By the way, you can get information about Bob online at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. He's got all kinds of resources there. I mentioned about his books. You can check it all out online at bobzadek.com. Bob, as always, we appreciate the time and the insights. Just about, uh, as the crow flies, 13 minutes before 6 o'clock. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Uh, as we wrap up this segment, I would be amiss if I didn't um, sort of set the record straight here to a, to a certain degree and uh, share some information uh, with you. First, in terms of uh, setting the record straight or telling the full story, listen, there are, and I want to be very careful to underscore this, there are... Tens of thousands of hardworking, loyal, dedicated educators all across our state. And there are schools in this state that do an unbelievable job. Phenomenal. For example, any of you listening that might be on the peninsula and have ever had the opportunity to attend, for example, a public performance of any of the musicians, the student musicians at Carl Mott High School in, uh, in San Carlos, Belmont, would be blown away. I, you, you hear this group of students, and you, if you were blindfolded, you would think that they would be college level or above. They are so good. And the dedication of the teachers in that district in particular, as an example, is absolutely phenomenal. Sadly, though, that isn't universally the case. And if you happen to live in a district like that that's got phenomenal teachers, sufficient resources, and really do an incredible job, your family is blessed. That is sadly not the case for a lot of parents and students across our state. And yet it has, unfortunately, a lot to do with the caliber or quality of your zip code. You know, after all, half of the educational dollars that are spent come from the local level. And the other half, a portion from the state and a portion from the federal. If you are one of those that has a super first-class public school district that your child can attend, um, you're blessed. If you're not, what do you do? Well, I suppose moving is one option, but that isn't an option, a viable one for everyone. But what more and more parents are doing is choosing to privately educate their son or daughter. And yes, if you look at the um, if you look at the tuition rates, they can be cost prohibitive for a lot of folks. And don't you wish you had a chance to kind of kick the tires, meaning if you had an opportunity to send your child to a private school for just a year and see what kind of a difference it would make. And I bet you would potentially be able to come up with creative ways to figure out the financial end of things long term, because the proof, as they say, would be in the pudding. Well, 
For those of you listening to say, Craig, you're absolutely right, and we've dreamt about that quite often. I see some of the curricula that my student comes home with, and I'm shocked by all of it. And oftentimes I feel as if from a moral standpoint they're teaching the polar opposite of what we're trying to uh, instill, the values we're trying to instill in our son or daughter here at home. What to do? Glad you asked. Let me share a website with you. It's halfofftuitions.com. That's halfofftuitions.com. This is a program that we've been running here at KFAX for well over a decade now, where the parents of a child enrolling in private education for the first time can acquire a voucher at 50% off the normal tuition cost. Now imagine that. 50% off. Now, the voucher is good for tuition only, and any other fees that might be necessary, of course, would, would, would have to be paid. But the phenomenal reports that we get from parents who say, you know, I, I was concerned about this, and we knew it was going to be an economic stress test for our family's budget, but we thought, let's take advantage of this half-off tuition opportunity and just see what our son or daughter does. And then we'll make a decision from there moving forward. And it is remarkable the overwhelming high percentage of parents who take advantage of the voucher and a year later saying, absolutely, if I have to go get a second job, if I have to get a third job, we'll do what we need to do to make sure that our son or daughter can continue in private education because we're seeing such a phenomenal difference in not only their heart, their attitude, but of course their scholastic performance. So if this describes you, you've wanted to do something different for your son or daughter, but the financial challenges of paying the tuition at full rate out of pocket has just been a barrier. Why don't you take advantage to find out more about this very special program? You can go to halfofftuitions.com and get more information. You'll find schools all over the Bay Area that are participating. If one very near you or one school that you're familiar with isn't in there, uh, you can give us a call. Phone number's there on the website and say, hey, uh, I don't notice my preferred school participating is there any way possible to still obtain a voucher? And we'll do all the legwork for you. And again, there are so many reasons why your family should consider a private education that at the very least I want to urge you to do the right thing and get more information. No obligation whatsoever. And again, if you go to half off tuitions.com. You'll find information about schools listed not only by city, but by school name, uh, information related to how the program works, why it works so well, and uh, ultimately answer for yourself. Does it make sense? And if it does, for your son or daughter enrolling in private or parochial education for the very first time, why not do so at half the normal tuition rate. Go to halfofftuitions.com. That's halfofftuitions.com to get more information. And we sure appreciate you uh, uh, kind of dipping your toe in the water at least to get some of your questions answered and to determine whether or not this might be right for your student and your family. On the web, halfofftuitions.com. That's halfofftuitions.com. Here at 6 o'clock from KFAX.